This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Jens Fabian Goitzman, Head of Product at RevenueCat. Jens, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Art. Great. Thank you for coming this hot, cold winter with January 2022, believe it or not. Okay, let's set the stage for the conversation first. Here's the thing. Even if you aren't into tech, you can see Apple Incorporated being mentioned in the news pretty much on a daily basis. These days, a big chunk of that coverage is dedicated to the situation around Apple's monopoly with its App Store. And one of the central figures in that store is in-app purchases. A quick recap of how app developers have been making money with apps over the years. Well, it all started back in 2008 when app developers were being paid for each copy of the apps they, they sold or they could provide it for free but display ads uh, to the app users and make money that way. Later on, in-app purchases came along as the way for app developers to make money on extra features inside the apps or provide an option to turn off advertising inside apps for a small fee. And of course, later on, app subscriptions became a big, big part of the app monetization options app developers could choose from. Now, when Apple introduced the App Store, a big appeal for app developers was that Apple said, you will be charging only 30% of each copies being sold. At that point, if you're in software business and you wanted, let's say, release a game on a console, you would have to pay way more than the, the 30% Apple was asking for. For a while, everybody thought it was a fair deal and developers were happy. Fast forward to present days, years later of struggling to achieve visibility for their apps and actually making money, many of developers aren't that optimistic anymore. And especially if your business is the size of the Epic Games Studio. To give you a comprehensive picture of what's going on and what are implications for you, we have Jens. But let's uh, talk about you, Jens, first, as well as doing this show. Talk about yourself. What brought you to the world of apps? Yeah, uh, thanks Thanks for the intro, Art. Um, so in comparison to some of my colleagues at RevenueCat, I've been somewhat late to the app party, as it were. Um, so I really kind of first fell in love with, with mobile as a consumer. Well, I was already working on tech, but not, not kind of on, on mobile apps. Um, so really, I started uh, getting into the kind of app development, app publisher side only in 2017 uh, when I joined uh, the fitness app 8Fit. Um, I, kind of on the product side there, I was first responsible for product growth. Um, so I was, you know, very much kind of thinking about in-app, in-app purchases, subscriptions, monetization, upsells, and so on. Uh, then later on, I was head of product there. Um, and because I, um, you know, had kind of learned about all the point, pain points with managing subscriptions, purchases, and all of that, um, I, I joined RevenueCat uh, last year and, yeah, have been working on, on that side, on kind of the service provider side um, ever since. 
Right. So you had thirst, had experience with enough purchases or troubles or headaches you can have when it's not being set up right. And so Revenue Cat Service was kind of a good fit for your uh, internal experience. You became part of the team quite mm-hmm. naturally. Yes, exactly. Um, we actually had David Barnard from your team back in November 2020. Now it feels like it was years ago. Uh, <laughs> It's actually, it was just, you know, uh, a year and a half ago, but it's been a while. And please, could you just uh, refresh the memory of our audience? What is Revenue Cat? What do you guys do? And do you have a cat on staff? Um, well, we're kind of all, we're all cats in a way. And we have some cats with pet cats, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um so what does revenue cat do revenue cat um you know i I would say like in a in a in one line we do subscription infrastructure as a service um and i kind of think about our our product is having three parts the first part is the sdk or the sdks so um we provide sdks for for ios and android and also for various hybrid technologies like react native and, and flutter and so on um, and the sdk essentially sits between the app and the store and facilitates making transactions um, in a way that is um, you know to some extent a bit easier than using the native platform apis but also um, especially if you are multiple platforms is kind of consistent across different platforms second part is the back end um, the back end basically normalizes subscription status and lifecycle across all the different platforms that we support, you know, which right now is, of course, iOS and Google Play, um, but then also Amazon App Store and Stripe for web subscriptions. Um, and therefore, we can basically serve as a single source of the truth, um, especially if you if you offer subscriptions on, on different platforms, that's really useful. Um, the backend then allows interacting with that data in various ways through, you know, an API, through integrations. For example, uh, you know, we can send data to product analytics to tools like like Amplitude, for example, um, or to MMPs like AppsFlyer, you know, all kinds of uh, ways to basically integrate that data, uh, like the event stream with uh, with third parties. Uh, But you can also get the data directly via ETL. And then the last part of the product is is our dashboard, which basically enables you managing your subscriber base, um, both like the individual subscribers and their history, um, as well as kind of getting an overview of the overall state of the subscription business, things like revenue, conversion rates, you know, basically all the insights that you need to to look at your, how your subscription business is doing and and kind of how to improve that. So that's, you know, maybe in a nutshell, what RevenueCat does. Right. So from what I'm hearing, you guys have been doing uh, life of a lot of web developers uh, way easier so they can really focus on the functionality features of the app and Absolutely. helping them to make money. Actually, the reason why they're they're getting into business, um, I still remember the numbers from uh, research done a few years ago. There's only very tiny portions of web developers who came into this business as a hobbyists who are not making money with apps. They just love to tinker with code. That's it. But these guys are in the, in the minority. The, the bulk part, the, the, the huge chunk of web developer community, 99% are in the business to make money. Um, yeah, and I would argue, I would argue mm-hmm. like regardless of whether you're trying to make money or you're just tinkering, Building out a subscription infrastructure is not a lot of fun either. Either way, <laughs> it's like ten thousands of lines of code that you know you're not like you no. Know, that's that's not what any app developer really kind of started 
developing apps for. So that's kind of, that's where we come in. And, you know, all of this boilerplate code that otherwise everybody basically has to, has to write, uh, we take that away and just make it really awesome and reliable. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the idea. Got it. Okay. So let's begin the conversation about in purchases with, um, kind of a recap of the recent updates with Apple, what I mentioned in the intro. So what's going on? Cool. Um, yeah, so I'll, fo- like, I'll, I'll focus on some of the most important milestones um, and kind of uh, mostly the, the status quo as it is now. Um, just a lot of stuff has happened last year. I'm going to start in April where um, the EU in the Spotify case basically said uh, it, it found that Apple has acted anti-competitively. Um, and you know, this was basically just you know, notice to Apple that this is what they found. They haven't been kind of any, no remedies have been announced yet, but that's kind of one of the cases to, to, to keep watching. Uh, then in August, uh, there was a law passed in South Korea that mandates third-party payment processes. And both Apple and Google have since said that they will comply, but will charge commissions and on those external payments. Uh, then we had in September, a bunch of things happened in September. Firstly, there was a settlement between Apple and the Japan Free Trade Commissions, uh, a commission which allows reader apps to um, a single link out to external payments and account management. Um, so reader apps are basically things like Spotify, Netflix, Kindle, um, you know, where you access some kind of content, uh, a content subscription that you've made elsewhere. Also in September, then we had the injunction in the Epic versus Apple trial that you alluded to earlier. So um, in the injunction basically was the... Um, well, the, the result of that, the court case, which now both parties have, uh, have appealed, was basically that um, the, the judge um, sided with Apple on almost all, all sides of the, uh, on almost all claims. Uh, but the judge also issued this injunction saying that um, Apple would have to allow linking out to third party payments. Um, as I mentioned, both parties uh, appealed and the injunction then kind of got stayed um, in the last minute by the appeals court. So it's, it's right now pending appeals, which could take months, essentially. Um, then in October, um, Apple announced that it will officially allow messaging customers outside of the app about their party payments methods. So this is basically, you know, emailing people to, to subscribe on the web, for example. Mm-hmm. And then the very, very most recent um, developments have been in the Netherlands, where the Dutch competition regulator ruled that Apple must allow dating apps to use their party payment methods. Um, Apple then proposed a solution that was a bit complicated, which would have entailed submitting different binaries, um, paying a commission to uh, to Apple, um, and you know, I think it was just yesterday, just a couple of days ago, um, the regulator then said, "No, we're not happy with that solution. We're going to uh, fine you uh, five million euros a week uh, until you have a better solution." So it's kind of pending, uh, pending what's going to happen there. So yeah, in 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 summary, lots of decisions, lots of movements, but um, also lots of pending developments. But we don't yet know what exactly the outcome is going to be. Yeah, so given the um, average kind of a length of the case in the court, uh, we can expect month and month uh, litigations back and forth between Apple and the companies who are trying to, either the companies or um, the regulation bodies from countries uh, to actually shift the Apple's policy on the App Store one way or the other. Um, yes. But having said all that, um, let's talk about, you know, um, I 
I, I can imagine uh, developers like uh, like all of us uh, have been hearing this news, um, kind of a peripheral vision in the background. But let's make the case: what kind of implications for them specifically uh, from all those developments? Yeah, so I mean, I think basically the the headline is that for now, most developers, most, most app publishers that are currently or have been uh, mandated to use in-app purchases will continue to have to use in-app purchases. And there's, you know, maybe kind of um, a lot of these regulations are kind of chipping away at the edges, but like at the at the heart of it, um, there's really no way around in-app purchases for for most most apps, like most kind of digital uh, digital contents, digital experiences um, today. I think the only meaningful carve-out that we have right now is this reader app exception on on uh, on the Apple side. Uh, and you know, so, like, if you're a Spotify or Netflix or or you know Kindle or whatever, then that might be really relevant to you, and you're probably thinking about like how to make both uh, best use of that. But for everyone else, it's mostly just noise, right? So, like, you know, let's for example talk about uh, South Korea. Unless you like have somehow super large proportion of your user base in South, in South Korea um, or your revenue coming from South Korea, it's very, very unlikely that's going to make in, uh, any meaningful dent, especially if you're also going to get get charged a commission. And the same thing is going to hold into the Netherlands. Um, so I think, um, you know, we see, we see a bit of a kind of, what I've called the balkanization of of the app store rules, where you know we'll we'll have more and more different rules applying in different places. Um, but that just means that like the lowest common denominator in the end is is what's still going to apply everywhere, and that means in our purchases are just going to remain a, a, a best practice. Um, I think there, you know, the one exception that I mentioned above, I think is uh, is, is good that Apple has clarified being able to message users outside of the app um, about external payments. Um, to be clear, there a lot of app developers have been doing that all along, um, and there was, you know, kind of this the the Apple's rules on this went back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. And it's good that they've now clarified that this is allowed because I mean Apple couldn't really police that before in any case. That's just um, impossible. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, how do you police whether you get an email like, after two weeks or whatever? Um, you know, app review is not going to catch that. Um, so, I mean, it's good that that's clarified. Um, and that does mean that web payments can be of interest in, in some use cases for app developers. Um, but, you know, I think that's kind of the, it, it's, it's more for specific use cases. Right. Uh, I think it's, uh, I, think it's, I think it will be useful to just to get back quickly on the uh, initial, um, like the pros, the plus side of Apple providing the, the App Store as a platform uh, as a concept. So for app developers, that was a way to get a distribution channel. And uh, you know, the whole Apple uh, was you know, backing up the trustworthiness, trustworthiness of a relationship between app users and the developers. So developer um, was kind of a, um, he could just rely on Apple to uh, convincing the app users that their money will be safe, their data, their uh, personal data, their financial data will be safe because this is Apple, the company they've been trusting for years. For app developers, it was a kind of a uh, making their life easier from a financial standpoint of view. Uh, and uh, net purchase, this is the part of the mechanism. So to me, it feels like for the most part, uh, uh, not big guys like you know, and the Epic Games. Obviously, they're talking about in a different scale, different uh, 
uh, amount of money. Uh, yeah, and also small, different for small different, guys. It different, would be just easier to just yeah. go on with the net purchases and still taking advantage of the benefits. Um, you don't have to convince uh, your app users that you're, you're not going to be stealing their money because they're seeing you for the first time when they're approaching your brand. Uh, for well, how, how do you expect them to trust you right away? They know Apple, they, they, they've been trusting uh, the iTunes, buying books, music, uh, movies, TV shows, whatever. And apps just part of the ecosystem, right? Yeah. And I think if you're Epic, you also have a different kind of loyalty, right? I mean, they're like loyal loyal fans of like Epic Games and whatever, right? Um, that, you know, you'll, you have some of that customer loyalty there that can overcome some of that, uh, you know, that extra friction i mean because i think that to me it's it's like you know trust is one there's like several aspects there that speak for internet purchases trust is one um and you know one it's not just about like your data being safe but it's also you know i know that i can like manage my subscriptions for example from a central place in the app store right i know how to i'll i can easily cancel uh, without a problem right you know there's not going to be any any hassles or problems with that uh, and then lastly, it's also the friction, you know, like it's, it's really, really easy to make an, make an in-app purchase, right? I mean, you basically like tap a button and that's it, right? So uh, no entering credit card details, like, you know, no, uh, no extra steps, no uh, 3D secure verification, whatever, you know, it's just like, it's just going to go through immediately. And, you know, that's, uh, that's the beauty of it. And like, frankly, any other means of payment um, is going to have, trouble you know with with all of these um, added like friction points added um kind of you know detractors from the conversion rate are gonna uh, have a hard time competing even at 30 percent um you know with with the, the commission that that apple charges so you know i think that's something where you know sometimes it, it can be easy to just um think you know everything else would be better with a different means of payment but you know uh, there's there's definitely lots of things that speak against that Right, and I guess just a quick small point uh, on this uh, question would be: We're living in a world where security become becomes more and more important uh, as we have, you know, more and more breaches, uh, ransomware, stolen data, selling. Um, um, it's, it's a kind of a nightmarish world when you do need to have a reliable uh, supplier for software you can trust in terms of security as well. Um, on top of the you know features you're looking for, uh, the use case you're going to be using specific app in your life, but how you can trust that your data will be safe and uh, financial data as well. So um, in this equation, I guess Apple still has advantage. Uh, we know that even their uh, software uh, firewall, I should say, is not impenetrable. You can still uh, break it, but um, chances are they have a more you know power to combat yeah. the hacking as opposed to small guys. Yeah, um, absolutely. I guess switching the gears a little bit, let's talk about web payments. So World Wide Web is still there. It's not going anywhere. So how viable and effective this kind of payments for app developers? Uh, what are the pros and cons? Cool. Um, so I already kind of started talking about this a little bit just now, right? When because when we talk about the advantages of in-app purchases, that's that's also some of the in the the disadvantages of uh, of web payments. So yeah, we need to be clear that like web payments are not for everyone. Um, so I mean, as I mentioned, you probably have to support in-app purchases anyway. Um, and then there's a few kind of 
drawbacks of web payments that that you really have to take into account. The lower conversion rate I already mentioned. Um, and I think there one thing that's that's worth noting is sometimes in like initial experiments, um, what people do is they uh, they can you know they they kind of send their the highest intent users to the web and then see like good conversion rates and believe that that somehow will balance out. Um, but you will you know you should note that if you only send your highest intent users to the web, then yes, your conversion rates are going to be higher. But they would have been higher in the app as well, right? So you know make sure that if you're if you um, if you're drawing comparisons, you compare like similar user groups as well. Um, so yeah, lower conversion rates I already mentioned. The second point is higher complexity, and you know that's kind of um, on different levels. I mean, it's um, you know there are of course you know providers like Stripe that make it relatively easy to to charge credit cards, but it's still you know a, an entirely new tech stack that you're building up there. Um, different technology, uh, higher complexity, also in the sense of you now will need to basically. Um, manage subscriptions across different platforms uh you know even if you're just on on one platform today um you know you, because you want web subscriptions to be honored in your app um so that, you know that's that's also higher complexity there um so you know that's means that the the investment part of kind of an ROI calculation is, is definitely uh is definitely high um and then lastly one point that people um tend to forget is that you also suddenly have to have tax obligations because you're not charging people directly. Um, so, you know, you, you need to charge VAT or sales tax um, and well, you need to charge them and then also pay them, which, you know, can be kind of quite a lot of um, administrative uh, burden there, you know, which is one of the nice things with the stores that Apple and Google basically, you know, take that, do that for you. Right. And you just only get the net payout um, and never even have to think about like, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, charging the uh, uh, right amount of taxes in like hundreds of countries around the world, essentially. Um, so you know, those are some of the, the things that speak against this. Um, and let me now kind of um, talk about what speaks for this. And uh, the way that I will talk about this is by talking through different use cases, um, well, or mentioning them, not really talking through them. Um, so uh, one of the ones is, and that's kind of maybe a little bit uh, goes against what I just said earlier is monetizing the customers with the highest willingness to pay. Um, so why, why, uh, where does it make sense to focus on that user group? It makes sense because, um, th those with the highest willingness to pay, um, might have the, the, uh, the highest willingness to overcome that extra fiction. Right. I mean, so like if you are, if you are kind of a super fan of the product, um, you probably don't mind entering your credit card, uh, information. Um, and also, if you can actually monetize them, like, you know, charge them more because you're like unlocking extra content or whatever, unlocking extra functionality, uh, the more you charge them, the more uh, the like extra percentage or like the, the reduced commission that, or reduced fees that you, uh, you pay for, for credit card purchases directly, um, you know, the more that, that makes a meaningful difference. Second use case is rapid experimentation and conversion rate optimization. So here, like, there are of course ways to make it happen, but in general, um, you're you're going to be somewhat limited in the amount of experimentation that you can do in an app, uh, where you know certain changes might just have to mean you, you ship a new version of the app, uh, which is generally more overhead. You have to go through app review and stuff like that. Whereas on the web, you know, you can ship 
different uh, different ex experiences like multiple times a day without a problem, right? So um, this kind of rapid feedback loop um, that you get on the web is, you know, that's you can use that to learn from, and then uh, maybe times take some of those learnings and um, and put them back into your your app funnel as well. Um, in general, you have a lot more flexibility, and that unlock, unlocks some things that you literally cannot do in the app. For example, let's say bundling subscriptions across different apps, right? Like, I mean, there's there's no native way to really make that happen where you have one subscription across different apps, um, which, you know, on the web, you can bundle everything and anything that you want, even from different publishers. You know, it's, it's not a problem at all. Um, personalization as well, you know, if you, you know, on the... Um, on the stores, like you're limited in terms of the number of products, number of price points that you can charge. Um, on the on the web, you can like have a personalized price for every user. You know, it's it's not a problem. Um, you know, you can you can you can do whatever. You know, personalized price, personalized contents of the package, um, not a problem at all. Um, also, doing things like running affiliate and referral programs um, is you know on the in the um, the stores that's really a problem to you know to do that effectively and on the web you have all the all the freedom of the world to do that um and then lastly one of my kind of favorite use cases there in, in terms of flexibility is separating buyer and user so my go-to example there is always you know let's say you have whatever mental health or fitness app um and an employer wants to offer that app as a perk to their employees on the store there's no way to make that possible like the best that you can do is every employee buys that and then you know buys the the app or the subscription and then gets reimbursed um, on the web it's easy to like you know charge for let's say 100 seats and then you know give that subscription to to all the individual users um Next use case is CRM campaigns. I mean, we kind of alluded to that already earlier when we said that, you know, now Apple is um, officially allowing messaging users outside of the app. So, you know, this could be lifecycle campaigns, group campaigns with discounts, could also be win back campaigns with some, you know, for let's say churn subscribers, you um, you send them a discount, stuff like that. Um, and then lastly, there's some use cases in acquisition where I'm certainly not the, the expert on that, uh, but web to app ex uh, acquisition where you basically um, run campaigns that land uh, that land people on a web uh, on a web sign up flow. They sign up, um, they subscribe, and are only later then sent to the app. Um, you know that's that's been um, a bit of a, a field of experimentation recently, um, and this also allows unlocking channels that don't even have an app install product. Um, so I think those are, those, those are some of the use cases um, that where it makes sense to think about, uh, to think about web payments. Um, and then let me just kind of wrap this up with some best practices um, sure. to, to think about um, web payments. So I think firstly um, it's important to decide on use case. Um, you know, I've, I mentioned a bunch of them, uh, but then limit your implementation to that and don't build, try to build the like be all end all solution immediately because the complexity will still be high enough, you know, so uh, don't, don't over engineer things. Uh, it's definitely worth uh, considering to support Apple pay, Google pay, and or PayPal to increase conversion rates, you know, because then at least you don't have to enter credit card details. Um, for tax reasons, it might make sense to use a, a merchant of record, um, like uh, like Paddle, for example. Um, and then, you know, lastly, of course, I, I uh, would be remiss if I didn't state uh, to consider using a solution like Revenue Cat to help with the, the whole cross-platform subscription management aspect. 
Got you. Um, all right. Having said all that, how would you assess or what does your gut feeling tell you about the general direction with the net purchases, just kind of uh, the outcome uh, here to stay with small modifications or what? Yeah, so I think, um, I, so my prediction would be that we will see further balkanization of app store rules. So, you know, there's going to be more of these small decisions in different countries that, you know, allow this thing or that thing or the other. And I think more, mostly that's going to be meaningless to the vast majority of, of publishers unless they're like very specific and very niche. Um, I think um, commissions might be forcibly reduced. So Google is now down to 15% for all subscriptions. Um, and I kind of would expect Apple to either follow suit soon or be forced to, um, you know, perhaps even forced down to something like 10%. Um, you know, this is more of a feeling that this might at some point somehow happen, uh, you know, rather than having heard anything concrete. Um, I don't think it's going to go much lower than that. And I think at that point, you know, it really just becomes a, very good deal for for most developers in any case um i think apple will likely be forced to allow third-party app stores at least in the eu so there's uh, the uh, digital markets act i think it is um that is you know kind of in, in draft stage currently um however i don't really see any standalone third-party stores seeing big uh, big adoption i think the bigger impact might be on kind of stores in apps or stores in stores in the store, which is currently forbidden. Um, so for example, there's this uh, Microsoft's xCloud gaming, which was disallowed, which might kind of make a comeback in that case. Um, and also we could perhaps see some of the like content fortresses like Facebook developing more app and app capabilities. So that's kind of more what I think, uh, what I think might happen. So I think overall, I still don't see in-app purchases going away um, because they have that consumer trust and low friction. And I think will therefore remain the default option for for the vast majority of app publishers. Got it. Um, so we'll see later on this year how it's going to, uh, everything we, we just said will pans out. Um, I, for me personally, uh, is the, like arguably the most interesting part from all this uh, um, confrontation between Apple and the government bodies would be Apple is making the case that the major uh, reason behind uh, keeping one app store as the only source for apps is security. Uh, they're not saying it's not like, they're making the case this is pretty much impossible to keep the same level of security when you're allowing Everybody else, uh, I mean, when I say everybody else, I mean other app stores to provide apps. Just take a look at Android, what's going on there. Like we know the difference in volumes of um, problems with security between Android and iOS. Well, on the Android side, every once in a while we'll hear the stories about, you know, massive data branches. Um, but it will be kind of a interesting and um, breathtaking to see if Apple can actually uh, pull out the third option, allow third-party apps, uh, sorry, third-party third app stores, but still be able to provide the same level of security for iOS users. Um, I just don't see it happening, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's security at, at multiple different levels, right? And I think the this kind of um, stands and falls kind of with the with the 
you know, how good is app review really? Because, you know, there's, there's obviously various levels of security. There's a ton of security features baked into the operating system um, on, on iOS. And, you know, those would still apply even if you get yeah, your app from sure. elsewhere. So then it's really about the app review. And of course, there's, you know, that's been another, um, <laughs> oh, I, think, yeah. I guess, interesting yeah. uh, feature to watch this past year where, uh, you know, um, a lot of kind of discussions on like how effective is app review really at, at picking, like at finding the bad things um, and, and kind of sifting them out and um, uh, while not making things harder than necessary for those with like legit apps. Um, and I don't think that, the at least like I, I would say in the industry the prevailing sentiment right now is probably not that app review is doing a great job at that so um you know that's kind of why i don't see like i think you know it's an argument that apple has to make um i think but i don't know that that will convince regulators in the end um and will that make the platform overall less secure maybe somewhat but i you know i, I also i think that's again i think that's going to be marginal but mostly because i think that the the impact of third party stores overall will be marginal. I mean, yes, uh, will there be some people that get tricked into installing a third party app store and then installing a malicious app from that app store? Probably, that's probably going to happen in this case. But again, it's it's probably not going to be a huge impact overall. Um, I would think on the on the ecosystem. At least that would be my my assessment right now. The app industry is vast. To navigate this space, you need a directory to look up suppliers and partners, and you need to know who are the best. Visit our marketplace directory at businessofapps.com slash marketplace slash podcast. And now, back to the show. All right. Uh, we've reached that part of the show where uh, we're done with the questions we wanted to discuss as the topic for the whole conversation. And there are just a few more questions. I'm asking every guest on the show to uh, give him a chance to provide a little bit of a better picture of who he or she is to the audience. Rapid, quick questions, uh, just a few of them. What smartphone do you have now? Um, have you been switching between iOS and Android or staying one side all the time? Yeah, so I think I would say I'm, I'm firmly team iOS by now. I'm quite locked into the whole Apple ecosystem. I've only had one, one Android phone, and that was way back in 2012. Um, I've, like, I've had more Blackberries than I've had Android phones, so <laughs> I mean, you know, that maybe tells you something. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, uh, speaking of Blackberry, do you remember your first mobile phone? Yes, that was way, way before BlackBerry. Uh, my first mobile phone was a, a, a Sajan, which is like a French, French manufacturer. It was quite uh, big in Europe at some point. Um, so I think this is like around the turn of the millennium. It was a terrible phone, kept losing power, but it was like the, the cheapo phone that I got as a teenager. And I think my favorite pre-smartphone phone would have been the Motorola Razr V3, which I kind of still have uh, very fond memories of. Got it, like Ford Mustang 1967. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, right now, imagine you've left your smartphone at home. What would be the most missing feature for you? Yeah, I think probably messaging. I mean, like, you know, there's, there's just kind of, you know, just staying in touch with, with people, with my family and stuff. Um, and then beyond that, probably the, the, the thing that I, the app that I open most often, you know, when I'm, when I'm out and about is probably Twitter just for distraction. So that, that would be the other thing. 
All right. Uh, what, what about features, uh, both soft, software and hardware, that you believe your smartphone is missing right now, or there aren't any? Uh, yeah. So uh, features that are, that I'm missing. So I'll give you some uh, kind of some more more attainable ones and, and some less attainable ones. Um, the the most attainable one where I'm still baffled to this day that this isn't better supported is multi language support. Um, so, like the practical example there is, I don't know why Siri cannot speak two languages at the same time. You know, like I I message a text in both English and German, and you know I can uh, you know when when Siri reads out my messages, I can either read out German messages, you know, try to pronounce German messages in English, or the other way around. And I'm still baffled that that doesn't that that doesn't exist. I I, I use SwiftKey as my keyboard for the for the only reason that I, it allows me to easily type in two languages. Um, so that's the most attainable ones. Uh, one, a few other, a few other things that I uh, that I think would be neat. Um, I, I would really love uh, like more a harder surface phone that doesn't get scratched so easily. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm not one with we're always with a cracked screen or, or anything, but you know, I'm. I'm around playgrounds a lot with my kids, and sand really does a lot of damage to uh, to phones. And I, I really don't like it that I always have to keep like this beautiful industrial engineering in a cover because that's the only way to like keep it uh, somewhat safe. And then the last one, the, the last feature that I will mention is the one that's least attainable. I'm really looking forward to having some kind of brain phone interface where I can just think something and it's going to show up on the screen. You know, so often when I like have my hands full or doing something, uh, you know, I'm like. I have this thought and I would love to like write it down, but you know, I, I'm not going to like get up my phone and like type it out or whatever. Uh, so having something like, you know, just straight brain to phone, that's, that's definitely a feature that I'm missing. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that we have that. I guess a narrow link from Elon Musk will be able to do just that in a few years. So <laughs> yes, well, fun with you. Uh, hopefully uh, via very uninvasive way, uh, not, not, yes, not yes, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna um, have my have my uh, my head drilled for that. Um, I, you know, I, I don't need it that desperately, but uh, yeah, we'll see. All right, great. Thank you. Uh, that was my last question. But before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Yeah, so it's it's generally best to find me on Twitter. Um, my handle is. Uh, Mr. Yefago, so that's M-R-J-E-F-A-G-O. Um, and also have a blog where I blog mostly about product management and leadership, and that's at jefago.com. Terrific. Thanks. Thank you for coming, and thank you for being part of our show. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, Art. Bye. And that was Jens Fabian Goitzman, head of product at Revenue Cat. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. We release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe. You will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.